Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We Our guest for this episode is uh, Marie of houseofkellen.com. Mm-hmm. So thanks Thank for being you. on the show. Exactly. What is it that you do? Because I, 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 I was interested in you as a guest because you do something that seems to be, you don't really say Jung on your website, but it seems to be inspired by Jung. So from my perspective, there's always <laughs> rich content there. But yeah, I mean, if you could just start us off, tell us what you do and how you got into it. So I am a Theta Healing instructor, instructor and practitioner. And Theta Healing is a modality where we believe that your body, your physical bodies is a representation of everything that you believe, either your beliefs from this lifetime, from the conscious collective, from ancestry, or from past lives, if you believe in those. And so what I do with clients is I help them understand what beliefs are not working for them so they can shift them and that way their body can heal or they can get emotional healing. I'm getting the sense that there may be some uh, generational trauma. It seems like what you're dealing with is generational trauma. You're just using different words for it. Is that right? Right. We do use the word. I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, we do use the word epigenetics when we talk about it, but yeah, gener- we do a lot of generational healing. There's actually a five-day class I teach where all we do is focus on healing generational trauma. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, I think that general, I mean, obviously generational trauma is real. I mean, if, if your parents don't manage issues, you will have to manage them. They can't hide it. I know your parents tried to hide their those unconscious issues. They can't. Nobody's smart enough. I try sometimes. It never works. Uh, so somebody's going to have to manage that at some point. But I guess my issue with that is, uh, and I, I don't think you're doing this, but I think people read books about it and they just make it seem like, oh, I messed up because of my mom. And, and nobody really shows them how to go in and really deal with those issues and take responsibility. I think it's so tough because we were affected mm-hmm. at a time when we couldn't take responsibility. You know, we're, we're children, right? You can't have children take responsibility. So uh, did you find that or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, when I first talk to people about how we do the work and going back and releasing these different beliefs, I'm very careful to make sure that we're not blaming our parents for this. And in fact, when we do the generational trauma work, what we're doing is we're trying to understand what was going through the heart and mind of the ancestor when they Mm -hmm. developed that negative belief and why it worked for them and how, even though it doesn't work for our life, how different beliefs or different things they suffered actually were the best thing for them at the time. So it's done with a lot of compassion. Yeah. 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 I would, I would like to go a step farther and say, yeah, this is what your ancestors were going through. This is what your mom was going through. Here's how Mm -hmm. you do that. Yeah. You do that same thing, most likely. I mean, if they're seeking help for this stuff, you're you're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, not to make any moral condemnation on it. Maybe you're not doing it as egregiously as your mom and your dad did. But it's I think it's really important to see it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because there are times when we are reacting to society the way that our ancestors 10 generations ago would, and we don't need to be reacting that way, but it worked for them. Yeah, what's an example of that? Um, a lot of <laughs> uh, I work with a lot, uh, a lot of people who are trying to find love. So usually I'm going to use dating examples. But some of the things are like in communication between men and women, I was raised to believe that I'm never supposed to call a guy first if they have to pursue me, and that there's all these rules. 
right? Mm -hmm. And also too, if you watch a lot of historical dramas, which I love, there's this whole thing about like, if a man and woman were caught alone together in the garden, that it was scandalous and your life is ruined, right? And if are we're still acting- or whatever yeah. they call it. It might be even that, just, just being alone with the man was dangerous and oh, yeah, right, yeah. be ruined, right? But there's there's this whole thing about that, you know, passed down through the generations that like, I can't be the one to start, you know, the, to start the conversation because I'm a woman or it's dangerous to be alone with a guy as opposed right. to the common sense and, you know. So you would say like a lot of these things impact somebody's, um, I don't know, fear of intimacy or it would make them more mm -hmm. afraid of intimacy because of that or am I, is that a stretch? It definitely can because women aren't supposed to, you know, if we're, we're not supposed to initiate contact, we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be really into sex. And if you are, if your crush is someone who's kind of one on the shyer side and maybe wants you to approach, but our ancestors are like, you can't approach him because then you're going to be, you know, a, a devil woman or whatever words that they use for that, mm -hmm. then you might be missing connections or you might be missing the love of your life just because they, they're someone who's too shy to initiate contact. We're putting so much stress on the guys to always do that. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're saying ancestors a lot and it's interesting, like a lot of cultures, I mean, not in the West typically, but a lot of cultures, they worship their ancestors. Do you think this is what, what you're doing and, and what you're doing is like a, a Western version of that? Or is it, it different? It could be considered that because from what I know of the cultures that do worship the ancestors, they also are talking with them and getting advice from them too. So it's an ongoing relationship with them that they have. Yeah. That's, um, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think that's a helpful way of looking at it. I don't, I don't know if I believe that I could talk with my ancestors. Mm -hmm. uh, philosophically, I'd, I'd say, no, I couldn't. Psychologically, that's a different debate mm -hmm. entirely. And, and that's why I, I like Jung's differentiation on this. When he talks in Book of Job, we can get to it. But I understand the feeling behind that of I am being impacted by my ancestors. Mm -hmm. I am dealing with an issue that was here before I was born. I didn't accept this issue, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't accept this anxiety. I never said okay to it. So it must have come before I was born, so to speak, born of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so I, I can see, and obviously symbols are very important for us to concretize, to make palpable these, these really abstract ideas. And psychology is nothing but abstractions when you can have these effective symbols like my ancestors. Oh, and maybe you have a picture of your ancestor, mm -hmm. your great, I mean, when was photography invented? You could have a picture of your great, great grandfather. Yeah, I could. Late I, I don't have one of those. <laughs> um, I, I do have a picture of my great grandparents in the yeah. old country. That's interesting. I look like one of them. Anyway, that's uh, beside the point. But um, I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think ancestors, would you say that's true? Or do you think you're literally uh connecting having a relationship with your ancestors or maybe it doesn't matter when i'm working with my clients it doesn't matter because i honestly believe if you really focus you can you can find all the information that you want that's contained in your genes and that we do have access to it and we go into a theta state um so for a lot of people i just have i just use the cue to just imagine what it could be and knowing that they're going to find the right answer inside their own psyche but I'm also a medium, which is a whole nother conversation. So I've been seeing spirits since I was three. So I do believe when I'm doing it for me, that I'm talking to my own. 
and you believe you're literally seeing spirits. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I take the Jungian approach and whether you literally see them or not, it's, it's immaterial from my perspective. Yeah. But, um, the point is that it's there. The psyche is there. It's real. Mm -hmm. It's as objective <laughs> as the world out there. And I guess if we're talking philosophically, yeah, I wouldn't want to create like a society based on anybody's interaction with their own spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think, you know, I think a lot of this comes from we need proper separation between psychology and philosophy. And I, and I think maybe because psychology is so young as a field, we we haven't gotten that proper separation. I mean, how long, you know, I think Aristotle was the first one to to look at a plant and be like, oh, that, that plant's different from that plant. Now we have botany. But how long did it take botany, botany to become its own field separate from mm -hmm. philosophy? I mean, maybe kind of a while. And... That's why I think there's, right, because I'm thinking from the analytical view of very much, like I said in my email to you earlier today, like myself in college would have been like rolling my eyes at this stuff. Oh, ancestor worship. Oh, astrology. And not that I believe in that stuff now necessarily, but but I, I can really understand what it means to talk with your ancestor mm -hmm. and and how that could be really important. Or geez, I mean, just creating any kind of relationship. I was looking through your, your method of what you do. I would imagine a huge a healing part of it is it sounds like, well, what is your method? I, it seems like a part of it is, is something like a confessional. Like you go in and talk through some things that, that you feel is deep and dark and you can't bring up anywhere else. Yeah, there are people who have said things to me they've never said before, even in traditional therapy. Part of it is, yeah, because we are, I am a safe space for people to say anything, however dark, especially what I'm really helping people to let go of is what are the things that they say about themselves? Right. Uh, what, like, like negative thoughts you have that maybe you wouldn't tell somebody else? Negative thoughts, things people have said about you, fears you have of who you might be deep down inside is another thing that comes out. So people facing like, you know, their, their worst fear of what they could possibly be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people like, I think this whole uh, like positive psychology thing that, you know, I, I, it goes along with the self-help people are afraid of saying these things because they think, Oh, if I say it, I'll give it power. Mm -hmm. Right. I just, that, like, I'm a fear that I'm one certain way. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to give it my attention. Otherwise it'll grow in power. Right. I, I read this law of attraction book and that's what it said. And I think because of that, people are are really hindered by being honest and open and ultimately taking mm -hmm. power away from these things. I mean, 99% of the time somebody has a suicidal thought of, oh, I need to jump in front of that subway. You don't literally want to jump in front of the subway. And okay. I think you really begin to see that as you talk through it and say, no, that's silly. This is really about this huge bill that I don't want to pay, or, you know, something <laughs> like that. Or, or usually the relationship with my mom and dad, um, not always. Yeah. But uh, yeah, do you find that is, is what I'm saying making sense? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find the real the real belief that's down below that like what led you to have those thoughts and what led you to have that. We're always looking for the root cause, like the very seed of a thing, before it turned into pain. If you could give me an example of a of a root cause, just maybe one that you've seen, maybe not even a common one, but just one that stands out. I mean, we're, we, like you said, a lot of things do go back to mom and dad, not to blame them, but we usually find most of the really 
the core beliefs or beliefs from your own lifetime are going to occur between the ages of zero and seven and are often related to experiences with siblings, parents, or parents. Yeah. And so some of them could just be as simple as I'm unlovable. Right. Or I had one that I had for a long time. I had this honest belief that love was going to kill me. And that came from the fact that your sisters are supposed to love you. And my older sister would beat me all the time. And so I equated, you know, the, the pain I suffered from her with love. That leads to a unideal yeah. <laughs> romantic yeah. life. It sure oh, did. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, the way I think of it is, you know, when you were between the ages of, of zero and seven, somebody put an issue inside you. Mm -hmm. Physically, you know, emotionally, spiritually, I don't know, interdimensionally. You know, I, I think yeah. our, our psyche is very creative and we can come up with, with very good uh, symbols for this. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like that's your issue now. Mm -hmm. And, it, it, you know, it's very much like if you get... Uh, like in a car wreck, if you get T-boned by a drunk guy and, and he gets away, like he drives away. Yeah. It's like, well, dude, you got to go in and do the rehab. Even if you did find him, you would still have to be the mm -hmm. one in like doing the neck exercises because you got whiplash. And yeah. I guess that's no fair. I'm sorry, but that's just like the stark fact reality of a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it sometimes bring up the conversations that I have with my clients or students that sometimes intent doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter why the person did the thing that they did to you. What we really need to deal with and address is the impact that it had on you because you're going to spin your wheels trying to figure out why did they say that to me or why did they do that to me mm -hmm. instead of addressing the real pain of how did you feel about yourself because that happened and what is your new self perception and what is the trauma inside of you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the opposite's true too. Like like you we can be impacted in certain ways. Um we're really like our parents weren't even that bad, but we've played it up in our heads so much and maybe it affected us and, and maybe it related with something else. And then people say, Oh, well then it's not a big deal because objectively it wasn't that bad, and that's what parents do. And oh, everybody experiences that to some degree. You know, Fred from across the street, he had his dad do the same thing, he's fine. So mm -hmm. there, therefore, I don't have the right to be upset or to be angry about it. And it's it's like the same air, right? Mm -hmm. You're taking your psychological state and either playing it up to be bigger than it is or minimizing it. And it's, no, that's your state. You own that. Mm -hmm. Go read Jung's answer to Job. It, the <laughs> psyche is real, mm -hmm. right? And um, yeah, but I guess that wasn't, I just, just my thoughts on it, but uh no, I agree. There's because there are times, I guess for me, I always start with addressing what's going on with the client first before we take the perspective of what the other person was going through. Because I've right. seen it in my students when they try to bring in, oh, what? Well, just imagine what your parents are going through, like before you really healed the the pain in the client. Yeah. And some people aren't always ready to have that compassion until they're at a place of safety inside themselves. Yeah. Well, and I think talking about your parents and what could have been going on with them and their issues, that's all a distraction. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, mostly, if, if you don't have good experience with that, it's probably going to be a projection. Yeah. And talking about your parents is a way to distract yourself from. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's difficult. And if there's, if like, 
I feel like sometimes in my session, it could just be a tape recorded of me goes saying, okay, let's stop talking about that. What's your experience? What emotion do you have of that? No, your experience, not how it may have looked to your neighbor, your experience, and just keeping the focus on that. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of resistance to that. We could blame culture, but I, I just think it's because when you're talking about yourself, mm-hmm. it's like there, there's no running away from that. You got to, you know, it's just you and your issue. And it's, it's mm-hmm. like amazing how some things become very easy, like things that seem very difficult previously just mm-hmm. become very easy when you kind of strip away all that BS and that baggage that we bring to everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it becomes like a simple, simple task. It, it seems that things that seem complicated become a lot more simple. Mm-hmm. Okay. So theta, like, what do you mean by theta? Do you mean like the, the theta brainwave or, or what exactly? Yes, it is called theta healing because we do go into a theta brainwave. There's a meditation that we learn in the first class, so you can put yourself into it easily. It's also called theta healing because the founder of Yonis Dybal, um, she likes that. To think of it as soul healing and theta is the Greek word for soul. Oh, I, I thought it was, oh, maybe that's, I, I was thinking of uh, anima, yeah. animus. That's my website, animus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so this is related to uh, I, I wrote to you the hippocampus yeah. in memory. Mm-hmm. So if you put somebody in the, the theta brain state, they're more likely to affect their memory. We do it in order to access the memories because a lot of the information we're looking for is not the stories that you've replayed over in your head a hundred times. It's sort of the story before that or something a little bit deeper. And when you're in the theta brain wave, you have more access to it. And that also too, when you're in that state, we can actually also consciously with the permission of the client, release the negative belief and bring the, the positive one in. Hmm. So kind of like a, an inception. Yes, very much like it. And also like inception, it is usually something very simple. Yeah. I mean, I think at the root of it, like the a thought that indicates or at, at the root of mental health is simply, well, I would just say simply, I have the right to exist. Yep. That's that's pretty much it. And everything flows from there. If you can change that, I think it's, yeah, there could be a lot of things tied up in that, but mm-hmm. that's pretty much what we're going for. Not I'm awesome. Not I'm a badass. <laughs> Stop. That's compensation. Yeah. You're not a badass. <laughs> Uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a badass in that one movie. That's fine. You know, that's a fun story, mm-hmm. but you're, you're not, you're just, you're, you're you exist. Mm-hmm. And that's like way more than enough than you ever need in your life. Just, I, I have my existence and I have the right to that existence. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Tough to get there. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned uh higher power. It's, there seems to be some emphasis on that. Why Why exactly is that? And what kind of higher power are you looking at here? Um, I teach students from all sort of backgrounds. So the higher power is always up to the individual. I do, I have had six, um, success working with atheists too, people who have no higher power. We do just sort of talk about the universe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but part of it is about accepting help from someone. Because when we bring some of the healings in, it's not coming from me. It's coming from whatever that trusted source of power is for the individual I'm working on. 
Right. I, I guess I'm kind of reminded of uh, a 12 step, which yeah. I, I have a lot, I, I have a lot of good thoughts about. I don't think it's perfect. I think there's some issues there, but there seems to be this um, emphasis on putting the power your your life into the into mm-hmm. some higher power, and um, I, I don't know. Like that's difficult for me to do. I guess you know philosophically, I'm an atheist, so it's like. Mm-hmm. I, but I but psychologically, right? I I believe in God. I mean, I believe in ancestors. All that stuff psychologically, if it's meaningful to you, that's all that matters. Right. Um. I, but well, I imagine it like must take the pressure off or do you think there's like a psychological significance? I, I know. For some people it takes the pressure off for me. Um, I view it more or I more view it more as a co-creation instead of giving all of my power over to someone else. Like I am empowered and I'm working with the higher power to co-create my life. Right. So it's yeah, more, it's more of a partnership. Yeah. Yeah. In college, I took a lot of drugs and I just, repeated myself over and over again i am nothing Mm -hmm. i am nothing it just came to me to repeat that and as i was doing i'm like i'm nothing but it's me who's saying i'm nothing Mm -hmm. but i am nothing but it's me and i I kept going back and forth and i kept thinking of uh uh i'm I'm really not into eastern philosophy too much but but buddhists say being and non-being are the same thing and i i kind of and I, I really felt like a sense of ease mm-hmm. and it, it was ironic because coming out of that i really felt like a strong like that i have the right to exist yeah feeling by by repeating that over and over again um so maybe it sounds like that kind of psychological benefit mm-hmm. um have you ever done any joe dispenza meditations no i have not heard of that it's very much about the I am nothing or being perceptive of the nothing and being in the nothing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But then when you say you're nothing, there's always a God there. <laughs> right? Nobody ever says I'm nothing without, and then there's, but maybe nihilists will say that. Yeah. But so nobody would ever, you know, do a meditation where you say I'm nothing and there's no God. So it's like, what are you even talking about? And again, I'm just coming back to that because, you know, I, I talk about answer to Job because, mm-hmm. I mean, you you read Jung in high school, which is interesting. And I, I'd like to ask you about that, too, because um, I, I read Jung as an undergrad mm-hmm. and that was kind of young to read Jung. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have to just deal with my stupid puns here. Um <laughs> And I, I had a, a moment where I was reading uh, Answer to Job. It wasn't even the part of the, the, the collective work. It was just mm-hmm. the separate book that I got. Um, somebody told me about Jung. And like I feel like I had a moment there around paragraph like 957 or 958, whatever it is, where it's, it's like he just, there's a lot of buildup, buildup, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever, 70 pages of buildup. And then he comes to this point where, uh, this you, the psyche is objective, mm-hmm. so God is objective, and I I I maintain that when you know when he was older and somebody asked him famously, "Do you believe in God?" and he said, "I don't believe in God, I know that God exists." I think what he's saying there is if you give everybody amnesia and you but you 
put take three humans with amnesia and put them in, the, in a room within 15 minutes there will be a god there mm-hmm. and uh, just just like this thing that springs from the psyche yeah but even if it was a philosophical thing and god really did exist and you know like a like a whatever judeo christian abrahamic god then that wouldn't matter either mm-hmm it would be the same either way from the Jungian perspective. And I think that's a really powerful take. Absolutely. I've always believed that it's all one energy that everyone's talking about, just with different names. So it doesn't matter what name people call God. Yeah. Yeah. The ancestor symbolism works well for me also to talk about that would you say that's what people are doing when they're talking about their ancestors is are they tapping into that god energy i do yeah that they're tapping into god energy that maybe they're also tapping into things that are just in our genes because you just know it because there's also you know there's so many traits that we can inherit and so many things that we just know without being taught from our ancestors yeah is that what you mean by, because uh, you talk about clearing up beliefs from the collective unconscious, which where I come from, the collective unconscious is simply what you are. You can't change that, but you talk about changing that. So so what exactly do you mean by that and how does that look? So when I talk about the collective unconscious, I'm actually, from my perspective, and I may be getting it different from the union perspective, is that there's basically a consciousness that we all sort of share as a community or as a group. And so beliefs can either start inside of you, they start inside of your parents, or sometimes they start with society. And so we sometimes absorb them in, or sometimes we reject them and work against them. And that when we recognize why we resonate with a negative belief or a a belief that's not working for us from the the collective unconscious, when we release it from ourselves, it actually releases from there also, so we can actually change the, the mind of a whole community. Oh. I mean, you really think that happens? I do think that happens. Okay. I mean... Well, well I'm not so sure about that, but that's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did you say like that psychologically happens or it effectively happens? I mean, I mean okay, so let me try to relate with that. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, I work with people, you know, the, the, the psychological term is boundary. Mm-hmm. When people have better boundaries, I would call that better regulated emotions. Mm-hmm. They, they tend to see better boundaries in the people around them. Yeah. Like if you stop being, if you stop lying, if you stop like trying to be cool, so people like you, you're you're not going to have people like that in your life. They're just, you're not going to, you're just going to pass by each other. Like energetically, you'd just be different. I don't know what you would say. Are you talking about something like that? Yeah, that's part of it. That when you change how you react to situations, you change who you are, people are going to react to you differently. Yeah. But I also believe that there is a consciousness that we all share. And if we sort of shift our beliefs inside of it, other people can also choose to change with you, but it's always going to be, you know, up to their free will if they change. Yeah. So you can kind of shift them and affect them in some way, mm-hmm. but you can't really take the the thought out or change that right. belief. 
And you, you really shouldn't do it. Like I have students or people who are like, what belief work do I have to do on myself to change my husband? I'm like, well, you should just get him a session and he should do his own work, right? There's only so much that you can do on yourself that's going to affect others, but it does have an effect on other people. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, still better than what people typically say when it comes to dealing with toxic people. And that is, I'll oh, just cut them out from your life. And I, that's like the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. That, that's, I mean, that, that's totally painful. I mean, what you get is you just get people is who judge others mm-hmm. who are sitting there judging others and say, oh, look, you're doing that wrong. Even though they're in your life, you're probably doing something similar. Again, maybe not to the same degree, but you're probably doing something similar. So it just devolves into you mm-hmm. sitting back, judging others and just cutting them out of your life, which, I mean, that's my, that's my fantasy. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just living on some mound and not having to talk to, to anybody ever. Oh, that would be great. And I don't have to deal with people. And oh, well, here comes Marie with her slightly different beliefs. And now I have to, you know, wrestle with those and, and make sense of it and integrate it. I can sit back and judge, mm-hmm. which is fun to do. <laughs> of yeah. course, that's always fun to do. And I'm really good at it. But yeah, it just leads to this in a culture where I don't know if you want to get into cultural, whatever issues, but I, if I could sum up what's going on culturally, it's, it's attachment disorder. It's Mm -hmm. people hiding and feeling like they need to um, justify themselves and all of their relationships effectively. And uh, that there's just cutting out people because they're toxic or toxic, or maybe did something toxic is, I mean, it's death. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. And I get it if somebody lies to you, like, you know, dishonesty is a big thing, but, but even then people won't tell them, Hey, I'm not talking with you because you're dishonest anymore. They'll just ghost them. Like friends for years will do this. They just won't talk to them. Yeah. Okay. They shouldn't have lied to you. They were being dishonest, but that's kind of what you're doing too. Mm -hmm. It's the same issue. And neither of you are going to develop a better relationship with it. If you just both avoid it, yeah, the toxic person is in your life. Okay, I'm I'm ranting, but please step in and, and save me. No, yeah, I feel where you're where you're going, and yeah, there, there, I feel there doesn't need to be accountability. That if you are going to cut someone out of your life, you should be at least attempting to communicate and being like, you know, and hold them accountable first. Yeah, and see how they respond because there are some people that totally. If, if, and I know everyone, everyone says everyone's a narcissist these days and they're overusing that. But when it is, I know, I know there's a process when they truly are, but people are super quick to label. Yeah. And part of it is we're afraid of the rejection that we're going to face or the backlash if we hold somebody accountable for their action. Right. So. Yeah. Well, because it's going to create a conflict. Yeah. It's, it's going to create intimacy. I mean, people talk about intimacy as like this lovey-dovey, you know, drum mm-hmm. circle kind of thing. And that's part of it. But the other part of it is conflict and fighting Mm -hmm. and having resentments and talking those out. And yeah, I don't like that you're doing this. And I know that you lied to me and and stuff like that. And um, yeah, yeah, and I think that people just freak out and do lots of stupid things anyway. It's it's a lot easier to ghost than it is to be really open and honest with your feelings. Yeah. 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 And I remember I had to learn how to how to have a good argument, how to fight and how to resolve things, because I also wasn't raised with that 
my sisters solved everything with violence and my parents refused to intervene. So I grew up without the skills I needed. So I was so proud in high school when I actually had a first fight with a boyfriend and resolved it. That was like a huge deal for me. As opposed to yeah. people who think it's a good relationship if you never fight. Yeah. But fighting, yeah, having an argument, bringing up your hurt and your pain to someone else and communicating in such a way that you're not blaming and listening to them without getting triggered is this is a life skill that it takes it takes well, a while for some of us to learn yeah i, I would say that's that's mm -hmm. the point of therapy is yeah. like you, you can't have that conversation right out of the gate because you don't learn so yeah. at least you go somewhere where you at least get more comfortable talking about yourself mm -hmm. in a healthy way and then you bring that awareness you bring yeah. that acclimation to you know, whatever you think the the conflict is. Yep. And it's like preparation <laughs> for for the fight. It's like training. It's it's like a Rocky montage. Not as much fun. Not, <laughs> not as many uh, stupid activities like swinging an axe to get ready for a fight. But uh, if you want to do that, I mean, it's not going to take away from you psychologically, right? Right. Okay. So talk about emotions and also chop wood <laughs> to get ready to fight Ivan Drago. I, I know you probably don't know these references. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm um, obtuse sometimes with this That's stuff. Okay. I usually fall into a lot of weird sci-fi references. Oh yeah. Like what, what, what sci-fi like, are you into? Uh, a lot of Star Trek. And oh, Doctor sweet. Who. The original series, right? Yep. All of them. Even that, even the lower oh, deck. Totally. Uh, that's <laughs> awesome. I, I love Star Trek. I love the original series. My, my friend's trying to get me into the next generation. It's like, okay, here's my problem with the next generation. Tell me what you think about this is they took Kirk, who was this union of mind and body and split mm -hmm. them up into two characters, uh, Riker and Picard. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that ruined, that ruined the character. Uh, and I think it made a philosophical point about the distinction between mind and body, which as a true union, yeah. I, I, I push back against, right? Yeah, I can see that. But they're also such amazing characters on their own. So instead of trying to compare it to the original, it is a, it is a whole different thing. A whole worse different thing. Some you never did make that so. stand. It's okay. I'll make it for both of us. <laughs> so, so what, what is it that you like? Okay, first of all, I mean, what, what's like a favorite Star Trek original series episode for you? That when it's oh, next goodness. up in the queue, you're like, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, the Apple. Could be. Elon of Troyes. I don't remember all the names. Actually, I love I love any of the ones where Spock talks a computer into imploding. Oh uh, well, yeah, a uh, couple of those. Yeah, there, there's a couple like that where they get that. I think Spock <laughs> does it a couple times. Kirk does it a, a few other times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the trouble with tribbles, definitely. Oh, I mean, that's just like a cultural icon at that this is. point. If if you don't know that episode, you know, well, that's that's kind of an issue with you at that point. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. Well, enough about Star Trek. Uh, yeah, I I was big into Victor Hugo, and I still am. I mean, he's he's one of my 
he is my favorite author. And, you know, he kind of went crazy towards the end of his life and he would have these seances with Shakespeare. And it's interesting the way that he would talk about them. You talk about them like, no, he, it is a, a vision. Mm-hmm. It is a vision of his mind. And also it's real. And he would shuttle back and forth between these two things. And I was reading a lot of Jung at the time and it just kind of hit me that, uh, that's interesting way of looking at your psyche of developing a better relationship with it. And uh, maybe that involves um, talking with your ancestors. Maybe that involves creating a God. And even if there is really is a God, it wouldn't matter anyway. And, and all these things that I I, I think in our uh, age of, you know, scientific, scientifically, at least materialism, uh, we have a lot of uh, resistance to doing things like that. Wait, do you disagree with that? Or you're making a face like you? Nope. <laughs> yeah. So it, scientific materialism, we, we want to push back against that. But I, I think, again, that's something that can be solved through the a proper distinction between psychology and philosophy. Philosophy being how you relate with external reality. Do you believe there's an external reality? Yes, I do. There's this whole world around us that we interact with at times. Okay. But we also create our reality in some way, you would say. Is that mm-hmm. correct? We so, do. So how do you, how do you, um, it seems like a paradox. I don't really think it is myself, but why don't... I look at, at, I look at it as layers of reality. Like there's your own personal reality that you've, that you've created. And then when you're in a family or in a group, then you're sort of merging your realities with theirs and co-creating. And it just keeps getting bigger until as a planet, we're creating a reality through all of our collective beliefs and actions and and energy that we put into that uh, co-created reality. Yet a reality exists out there. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I, I I guess so. Huh. You know, the one thing that I I take issue with, and, you know, I come from, you know, grad school where we deal with the psyche very scientifically, and they would say none of this is real. But it's like, when I talk about anxiety, you know, like, like I talk about anxiety and anger, right? That's mm-hmm. like, what are these emotions? How do we communicate them? You know? Well, how how do they structure? How do they work? And then I start thinking of you dealing with ancestors. And it's like, they're both just these symbols. Like, I don't know where anxiety exists exactly. Yeah, you know, there's like your uh, limbic system and there's a way your cortex connects to it. But what is anxiety? I mean, it's just this symbol mm-hmm. that we use to help us understand that we relate with to help us develop our psyche. And it sounds like it's the same thing with ancestors mm-hmm. or past lives or anything else. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter where we say the information's coming from in a session, whether it's past lives, ancestors. I have some people who talk about Atlantis. It doesn't matter to me where the information's coming from because all of it is contained inside that person's psyche. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
That's the point, and that's paragraph uh, 958 in uh, an answer to Job. Uh, yeah, but Atlantis, that totally didn't exist, right? Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Right. I went to Egypt last year, and uh, I have some questions about... Uh, I have a lot of questions. I, I went in there with uh, five mm -hmm. questions. I came out with about 5,000 questions. That's awesome. I, I just, don't know, Marie. It's, I, don't know. I don't know. Somebody was there building something for a really long time. And there's a lot of hard mm -hmm. evidence, not just spiritual woo of past ancestors <laughs> that indicates that. Uh, so, yeah. I hear you. I went to Egypt this spring. And yeah, it's... There's a lot of interesting things there. Are we the same person? Maybe. <laughs> watching Star, <laughs> watching yeah. Star Trek. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I had like a sister or somebody who got adopted. Um, so what was your favorite part of Egypt? Um, probably Aswan. Yeah. We got to stay there for a couple days overlooking the Philae Temple and just relax. It was it was a whirlwind for the rest of it. I also loved... Um, wait, wait, did you go to the quarry? I don't think so. No, uh, no, we went to a lot of places. We did a okay, tour. So you took a vacation. I, I did a field yeah. trip, I think. It's a little bit different, it sounds like. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one the quarry. No, it was... The crazy we... thing about that is, mm -hmm. so that's where the unfinished obelisk is. Okay. And it's this huge 1100, would have been um, 1100 tons, 1100 tons if yeah. they excavated it from the quarry, but it's excavated on three sides, you know, just the bottom, it isn't cut out. Um, the craziest part about Aswan is it's like, it's like this flat hill of granite. And there was a mountain of granite there at some point. It's like a, a leveled, it's a leveled mountain. And supposedly they use diorite pounders or they just would like scrape against the, mm -hmm. the granite to level a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I'm, I'm Maybe. sorry, but you were talking about, I, I got sidetracked. You were talking about, <laughs> uh, so what was your experience of Aswan? Um, I guess, well, it was a rest because at that point we had already um, walked the avenue of the Sphinxes. We've been to the Valley of the Whales, the, the valley of the kings we've been to the pyramids we did like a whole it was like a whole 14 days before we got to that so i wow. think what i loved about it was being able to relax and just integrate everything because it was a whirlwind trip integrate and everything like like what exactly do you think just emotionally energetically it was it was a pretty intense trip i was also traveling with the group that does self-transformation work so there's also meditations along it along it the whole way Oh, so. uh, do you believe like some of those, well, maybe not the, the buildings or the, uh, the pyramids themselves, but they were built there because there was some like energetic properties. I know people think that, I, I don't know, is, but is that something you would believe or? I do believe that back before Netflix and all that, we had a deeper connection and understanding of the land and the energy in the land. So I do believe those spaces were picked very carefully. And even if we don't understand their reasons, that there was a reason for it. Yeah. Like I, I live by the beach. And so we go to the beach sometimes on the weekend. And it's like, you're just sitting there looking at the ocean. 
and, I, and I'm thinking that th- this should not be this relaxing. Right. But it's totally relaxing. We take our kids there and they shut up. Nobody <laughs> makes a peep. Nobody says anything. It's just everybody is just and and very calm. And I don't feel that when I go out into my yard. Yeah. Something about the ocean. I know there's places in Egypt it's, it gets very scary. Very not scary in like a Halloween kind of way, but eerie. Mm-hmm. And I I just can't help but get the feeling that, yeah, maybe that's because we're we're looking at things that have been built up and torn down and carved into over the past 50,000 years. That's my weird belief. You, you can make fun of me for that. I'm not going to make fun of you. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, Egypt's crazy. I mean, I the, the thing about it is um there's just so much, I mean, this sounds stupid to say, but there's so much rock. Mm-hmm. Tons of rock, tons, just mat and and not like limestone and uh like a, a softer kind of what are they uh albacite or something? Mm-hmm. One of those softer stones, I, I forget. But really hard granite sometimes even harder than granite stones. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. boggling. And I understand what you mean. Like it's, um, it's overwhelming. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like kind of exhausting. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I remember thinking about it is it's kind of exhausting walking around and seeing everything because like none of this stuff should be possible. The yeah. pyramid should not be there. Yeah. Those are ridiculous. The, the, the King's chamber, did you go up in the King's chamber and do all that stuff? Yeah, I, we it, did. it should not exist. <laughs> Like the fine detail of everything in the King's Chamber, how how these huge granite, I mean, some of those things are 300, 400 tons. By the way, you're like 170 feet, maybe higher above the ground at that point. The way it's placed perfectly. Everything mm-hmm. is perfect. Yeah. Done by people who suppose were supposedly right out of the Stone Age. Yep. It's amazing. Something's going on. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying aliens did it. But I'm saying it's more likely it was aliens than exactly the way that Egyptologists describe what happened. Right. And that makes sense. It does make sense. <laughs> You're like, I'm trying not to agree or disagree. But it it may provoke well, him. I'm also <laughs> thinking about all the different Egyptologists I met over there. And um it just seems like everyone's an Egyptologist. Yeah, I mean, what is it even? So, it's, it's like it's a new field. It's like psychology. Yeah. So, like, yeah, so what were they saying? I'm sorry. Oh, just, just, just little things like when they when they show you like how to write out your name, and I got like four different answers. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Like how to how to write it. Oh, to write oh it, in hieroglyphics. hieroglyphics. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm just oh, like, yeah. oh, okay, so. I guess yeah. it's almost like you need to talk to several several of them to to really get an answer for some of those things because they all there seems to be there there seemed to be some personal interpretation between some of the guides that I had. Well, it's it's not exactly a science. I think yeah. it's very similar to psychology. <laughs> you know, we're um we're dealing with tons of information out there. Yeah, you know, t- too much information to take in. We mm-hmm. we don't. I think technology may help us. You know get a clearer view of it someday if neuroscience advances that degree. But I think in order to do that, we would need technology 
on on some echelon that we can't even imagine. You know, I, I talk about it like trying to describe the internet to Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. It's like it's too many layers removed. Well, first you have to know what electricity is and how to harness that, and then fiber optics. It just he he wouldn't understand it. And I, I think that's the kind of technology we need to we need to understand the psyche. So too much information. How do so you I conceptualize guess- it? Now you can conceptualize it like your ancestors. Mm-hmm. You can conceptualize it with as anxiety. Um, I mean, that's why I, I don't see us as competitors. You know, like we're both mm-hmm. trying to help people. We're both trying to understand people. People who who resonate with what you're saying will go to you, mm-hmm. right? And if you resonate with what I'm saying, will come to me. And um, maybe for a therapeutic aspect, somebody who resonates with me would actually do a lot better going to somebody like you, perhaps. Maybe it I depends. I actually, I, I like, I prefer when my clients have a team of people and they're not just relying on me. Oh, that's very uh, humble of you. Well, I know there's, there's, there, there's some things that I'm amazing at and some things where I have less experience with. And so mm. I want to make sure that all of them's being taken care of. So I do refer people out all the time if they need something that's not within my specialty. Yeah. It's like, um, Yeah, like I'll get you to the watering hole, but you need to, somebody to help you drink. Yep. You need a drinking coach. <laughs> I know that's not the best analogy. Uh, well, okay, man, it was a great talk with you. Um, so if people want to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to houseofkellen.com. So that's House of Kellen, spelled K-E-L-L-E-N. Um, and that's also named after my ancestors, just so you know. Um, there was a house at Kellen in Luxembourg. Sounds, and, oh, I was going to say it sounds Irish. What do I know? <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of Keller. Nah. Well, Kellen's an Irish first name and a Luxembourgish last name. Oh. That's why. But you can also find me on Instagram, TikTok, um, under House of Kellen, and also on Facebook. Okay. Well, look, I mean, I appreciate people out there. Uh, trying to take a conceptual view and getting people to understand themselves in some way. I know we come at it from a slightly different perspective, but I think um, there's a lot of similarities too. So it was fun to talk with you. Keep watching Star Trek. I will. I, I find that your quality of life will improve when you memorize the names of the episodes. I, okay. I'm, I'm not saying to make flashcards or anything, because <laughs> that would be crazy, but it just helps to... to uh, I mean, if you want to talk about symbols, there's anxiety, yeah. there's ancestors, and there's Star Trek episodes, but they each, okay. Well, I will. I will, because, you know, my my partner does have them memorized, so I should up my game and get on his level. I know all the, all the time. Yeah, it sounds like a good study, buddy. <laughs> all right, Marie, thank you for being part of this. Take care. Thank you.